Good morning. Let's look at the bulletin. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Mark 13, 11. I was in the office and there wasn't, I didn't have a Bible and I don't have my phone with me. And I wanted to read, Ken asked me to read, so I, I, I looked this passage up. There was a Bible on the shelf and I pulled it out and it was in the King's English. And it's probably been close to 50 years since, since I used the, the King James and it was odd to read. I, I've, of course, read some passages out of King James, but... Uh, uh, so I thought, well, what's this King James Version Bible doing up here on the shelf? And I looked in the front. It was Wayne Dudley's Bible. It was his inscription in the front. that Margaret give, gave that to him for his 54th birthday in 1972. So if you can do the math, you know how long ago that's been. But um, it's, uh, it's nice to have it. I don't know if we're supposed to have it or if the family's supposed to have it, but it's in there on the shelf. Um, so, but it reminded me of Wayne and, and Margaret and just what a... Um, what a great example they were as a couple to us uh, all those years um, serving here in the community. And uh, Anyway, nice reminder. Bible study tonight, we're in Ezra, 6 p.m., bringing finger foods, uh, requesting special music again, see Jared, prayer meeting Wednesday at 7, last Sunday of this month, which is how when? Is that, it's not next week, it'd be the following week. Uh, two weeks from today, uh, the 30th, that's a special music night. See Jared and invite friends. You see Andrea's number there for the prayer chain. Days of praise and acts and facts are here for September. Make use of those, certainly. And you'll see coming October the 4th, Forgotten Man Ministries Banquet. Flyer and sign-up sheet posted on the helps board. That's the one right outside of this door, and we'll need to RSVP by September the 24th. Don't forget the uh, prayer needs there. You can see uh, they're spilling over into the other page now. We've got so many, so take note of those. Any announcements that I've overlooked or forgotten? 
Dean Birch is going to be our guest speaker uh, in October, first Sunday in October. I didn't know that. Right, That's Indy? great. <laughs> Dean Birch is coming. Yeah, I told him whenever he could come just to give me a call, and he gave me a call the other day, and so we set it up. Great. Good news. Scripture for meditation this morning is found in Matthew's Gospel. Read chapter 24, verses 42 through 51. Let's stand and open our service with a word of prayer. Tom, can I ask you to open for us again? Thanks.
morning. Will you please take your brown hymnals and turn to number 234, 234 in the brown. Five, four, six in the red, and we have a reason for five, four, six in the red. In the morning, uh, Sunday school class, we were speaking of heaven and being heirs, um, and being given a new name. And Jared, Jared referenced this song in closing, and that's the name of the beautiful song.
scripture reading this morning is Mark 13, we'll be reading 5 through 11. If you'll stand with me, we'll read. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming, I am he. And will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Ask that the Lord would add his blessing to his word. Take your brown hymnal again and turn to number 236, 236, in the brown, 236.
Hannah and Rachel and myself are going to be um, singing a song. Um, I can't remember the name of it right now, but you'll, you'll see. But this was requested, not this particular song, but a request for um, this genre about a year, year and a half ago. Come on up, girls. So if you request something, we'll eventually get to it. It's just taking us some time. The King of Love, My Shepherd Be. There it is. Shepherd. 
Thank you very, very much. Ukulele brings back college days. I had the same ukulele at Moody, and we used to sit out in the dorm. Um, at the end of each hallway in the dorm, there was like a, a foyer, and you could, there were couches there and chairs and so on. We used to sing out there and do hymn sings when I was in college, so that certainly brought back uh, some memories. Our text this morning is Mark 13 again, but different verses. Mark 13, we're going to look at verses 5 and following. In our last session, we looked at some of the additional characteristics which Jesus predicted would signal his return. Added to the first three, we studied in the first lesson, we now have a total of six characteristics. Let me give them to you. Number one, Jesus' coming has no known date or time. That is not revealed. And you find anybody that says that they know, just chalk them right off. They're a false prophet. They don't know. And he comes for his people. Number two, proliferation of evil deeds. That's what it's going to be like. No believing in God and no uh, certainly... It'll be like the days of Noah, Jesus says. Well, you know, that was just, their thoughts were wicked continually. Didn't, can you believe a, a, a society would be around with no good thoughts at all? That's the way it was. Three, no sorrow for sin, no confession of guilt, no repentance. Just black days, evil days. We are fastly seeing that. Number four, proliferation of people claiming to be Christ. Hi, I'm the Christ. We look at some of the modern day claimants. You say, well, we're not seeing that much in America. Go on the internet and just type in false Christ and you will get shocked. Just because you don't know about them just means your circle of friends is different. So you're not into these things. You're not looking for these things. But they're out there already. And they're being proliferating the whole idea that they are Christ. Number four, Jesus' second coming will be the same man, the same man experienced by the New Testament church. George made a good point to me. He says, just ask to see Jesus' cross wounds. That ought to tell you something right there. Whether the person talking to you and claiming to be Christ is in fact him. What cross wounds? Well, remember, Thomas called doubting Thomas, doubted Jesus' resurrection, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. John 20. Verse 25 and following. And then finally, number six, we learn that Jesus' second coming will be public. That is, with full disclosure, there's not going to be anything secret about it. 
everyone will see him coming and it won't be a pleasant sight for for most people well today's study i want to continue jesus encouragement to his disciples in view of and i'm calling it the joy of future watch the joy of future watch or the idea of getting your focus in the right spot when we think about the coming of christ So let us ask the Lord to be our teacher. Lord, bless us with your word. It is your word that's the sword of the spirit. It says that of that sword, it's able to reach into our souls, the bones, the very marrow, and convict us and teach us and enlighten us. It's not my words. It's your word that is the important thing. And as we have that before us in Mark's gospel and other places. May your Holy Spirit use the sword to bring about conviction and repentance. Save whom you will for your glory. Edify us who know you. Build us up in the faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're looking this morning at the subject of the joy of future watch in reference to Christ. Looking into the future and anticipation of the coming Christ. The first thing is noted in the outline is that Jesus keeps believers abreast of their future. He keeps us abreast of it. Many people of the world would love to know their future. It's the dream of almost every person because to know the future gives a heads up on planning one's life. Just think about that. Investors would love to know when the stock market's going to ascend in record trading and also when it's going to crash. In this way, they could make a killing financially by knowing when to invest, when to bail out, so as not to jeopardize their profits. So to know the future for an investor, very important. Children would like to know the future to see if they will make it through college or trade school. If they will land a high-paying job. If they'll find a life partner. If they'll get married. If they'll raise a family on their own. So lots of people want to know about the future. The elderly would like to know when they're going to die. So that they could set their house in order and leave their estate in good standing for their friends and loved ones. That's our world. That is our world. But believers have a different agenda. At least I hope we do. I pray we do. While it might be interesting to know some of these aspirations of the world, the bottom line is that as believers, we know that this world is destined for judgment and destruction. We know that it is not our permanent home, nor can I say it this way, nor our preferred home. We know that God has something far better awaiting us. And all of this being true, our interest in the future centers around God's eternal purposes more than around the material entities that occupy so much of the world's thoughts. None better illustrate this than the patriarchs of old, to whom 
God spoke of a promised land that they would one day inherit. A person of the world might interpret such to mean, oh, uh, that must mean an estate uh, along an oceanfront property uh, bordered by vineyards and orchards and rolling green pastures, money, servants, prestige, power, all that, which, of course, the world craves and thinks of when they think of something to look forward to. I want you to observe from the patriarchs themselves to whom God's promises were made what their understanding and practices were. I may read it for you. This is from Hebrews. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. How many people go out uh, real estate hunting and you have no idea where you're going to go or what you're looking for? Let me read on. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For Abraham, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is gone. Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 10. Now some might argue that the reason Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived in tents was because they were Bedouins who moved about caring for sheep or they didn't have the money to build a permanent dwelling so they lived in tents. Or maybe both. Maybe it's because of their Bedouin lifestyle and the fact that they were rather uh, poor in terms of their material goods. But when we read the scriptures, nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. For example, when Abraham's nephew Lot was captured by a federation of kings, we read, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive... He called out the 318 trained men born in his own household. Did you get get that? 318. And he went in pursuit as far as Dan, that's a place. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and routed them, pursuing them as far as Obah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the people. He brought back his relative Lot and his possessions and together with the women and the other people. Genesis 14, verse 14 through 16. 318 trained men born in his household. Does this sound like a man with no means to buy or build a permanent estate? Oh, and what is more, the next chapter says, Genesis 13, verse 2, Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock, in silver and gold. That's a portfolio 
a, a ledger taken out of his portfolio. And it's put in the scripture. And what is it saying? He had all the wealth he could possibly need. This being so, why did Abraham and his descendants live in tents? Good question. Answer. I'm reading for, for you from Hebrews 11. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted, here it is, they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Now, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Hebrews 11, 13 and following. You know, these patriarchs took as part of their name Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's what he's referring to here. God's not ashamed that they would do that, that they would so identify with God. Why? Because their whole life was geared to going home to be with God, to be part of his family. Job's another patriarch whom God blessed with tremendous material wealth. Let me read a page from his ledger, from his portfolio. It's in Job 1, verse 3. He owned, Job, he owned 7,000 sheep. I can't even conceive that. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. A yoke is at least two, so that's 1,000 oxen. 500 donkeys and a large number of servants. He was, I'm still reading, the greatest man among all the people of the East. Job 1 verse 3. Now I read that. I don't know many wealth, wealthy people. I know of some. Our president is one himself, is he not? Rockefeller would be another. Carnegie of the steel industry would be another. Some of these people are dead and gone. But what I'm saying, even by today's standards, Job would be considered very, very rich. But when Job lost everything in the great contest between God and Satan, in which 
Satan said to God, well, yeah, Job served you, but the only reason he served you is because you, you bless him. He's so rich. He's so wealthy. He has everything. But if you take it all away from him, he'll curse you. And so God, in effect, said, well, have at it. Do your worst. Only you can't kill him. But go ahead and do your worst. See what comes up. And so Job lost it all. Satan saw to it that he lost all those animals, all those servants. He went from being multi-wealthy to zero in a matter of days. Yet we read, when he lost it all, at this, Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground in worship and said, and I'm glad this is recorded for us, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Job 1, verse 20 and following. What I am saying is that these men, the patriarchs of old, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, along with their wives, Job to name another, demonstrate that they were not, they were not living for the things this world values. They were wealthy, but even when their wealth was taken from them, as in the case of Job, or even when they had money to burn, as in the case of Abraham, their goal was not to put down deep roots in this world. why they lived in tents. It's not that they couldn't afford stone housing, mansions. They just understood that something uh, that permanent didn't match the lifestyle. Or the destination. You know, something made out of stone or concrete or whatever can last a very long time. There are buildings, buildings in Europe that are older than our country. So when Abraham and Isaac and Jacob got into the promised land, They lived as aliens and strangers on earth with their focus on the city whose architect and builder was God in a heavenly country. Yeah, they had money to do otherwise, but they chose not to do it. This is always the case with true believers. If God gives us money... We endeavor to use it in a way so as to advance the cause of Christ and the gospel. 
Paul told Timothy to instruct the rich, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. 1 Timothy 6, verse 18 and 19. Use your money, he's telling them, to help others. Use your money to advance the gospel. Those are the building blocks. Peter talks about living stones, remember? People. Those are the building blocks that lasts for eternity. The living pattern today is no different than the believers of yesteryear. We read in the book of Hebrews, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp Bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city. But we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Hebrews 13, verse 12 and following. Our future is not in doubt. It's not based on your portfolio. It's not based upon your bank account. How full it is or how meager it is. It's not based on any of that. It's based upon our faith in Christ and his goodness to his people. Secondly, the future is one of political unrest. Boy, are we seeing that. Jesus put it this way, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Mark 13, verse 7. So this is nothing new. What is now new, however, is the escalation of such things. The psalmist writes, Even in darkness light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will remember, be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his fold. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted on high in honor. 
The wicked man will see and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. Psalm 112, verses 4 and following. Isaiah experienced something similar in his day. He writes, Raise the war cry, you nations, and be scattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. He said, do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He's the one you're to fear. He's the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary. Oh, I love that. Isaiah 9, verse 9 and following. Trust the Lord. And he's going to be a sanctuary for his people in rough times. Years ago, Jason Oberholzer of Forbes magazine compiled a chart of world wars from 4000 B.C. to the present day. You can find it on the Internet. So what I did, I decided to count just the wars in my lifetime from 1961 to the present. 61, I graduated from high school, so I thought, well, that'd be good. See what has happened in my world, in my day. And what I discovered were 270 wars or skirmishes up to the present day. The Vietnam War, the Libyan War in 2011, additionally civil unrest in most of the European Union, France, Spain, Portugal, Greece, Italy, North Africa, Hot spots everywhere. Kenya became dangerous for our missionaries to continue their work there. I remember that the Henrys had to vacate northern Mexico. Why? Because the drug cartels were dangerous there. Nations rising against nations in the U.S. not being exempt. Now, when we go to the scriptures, Babylon, Babylon stands for the mother of pagan nations or peoples who oppose God. And here's what Jeremiah writes. Do not lose heart or be afraid when rumors are heard in the land. One rumor comes this year, another the next. Rumors of violence in the land and a ruler against a ruler. For the time will surely come... When I will punish the idols of Babylon, her whole land will be disgraced, and her slain will all lie fallen within her. Then heaven and earth and all that is in them will shout for joy over Babylon. 
For out of the north, destroyers, destroyers will attack her, declares the Lord. Babylon must fall because of Israel's slain, just as the slain in all the earth have fallen because of Babylon. You who have escaped the sword, leave and do not linger. Remember the Lord in a distant land and think on Jerusalem. We are disgraced. For we have been insulted and shame covers our faces because foreigners have entered the holy place of the Lord's house. But days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish her idols and throughout her land the wounded will groan. Even if Babylon reaches the sky and fortifies her lofty stronghold, I will send destroyers against her, declares the Lord. The sound of a cry comes from Babylon, the sound of great destruction from the land of the Babylonians. Jeremiah 51, verse 46 and following. Oh, and you can read the fulfillment of this in Revelation 18. It's all there. Jeremiah is predicting it, and Revelation reveals that there will be a righting of wrongs for Babylon, which stands for the world. Now thirdly, the future is one also of natural, political problems we just talked about, but also of natural disasters. Look at verse 8. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. And again, it is not that there is never been earthquakes or famines on the earth, but Jesus is prophesying an escalation of these things, so much that they cannot be attributed simply to shifts in climate or geographical anomalies. In Luke's account, it reads this way, there will be great earthquakes. Wow. Great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places, and fearful events in great signs from heaven. Luke 21, verse 11. I can tell you that in the past, God has used earthquakes to accomplish his purposes. Both the prophets, Amos and Zechariah, tell of a terrible earthquake in the days of King Uzziah. The words of Amos, I'm reading scripture, the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, what he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam son of Jehoash was king of Israel. He said, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel, that's a mountain, the top of Carmel withers. Amos 1, verse 1 and 2. Zechariah predicts a day in which the nations will come against Jerusalem in battle. And we read, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, 
and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half of the mountain moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Aziel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. And on that day there will be no light, no cold, no frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. And when evening comes, there will be light. Zechariah 14. Verse 3 and following. When Paul and Silas were imprisoned in Philippi for preaching the gospel, we read suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was going to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't arm yourself. We're all here. Acts 16, verse 26 and following. Earthquake to set God's people free. Again, God used earthquakes to single events centered around his son, Jesus. There was an earthquake at Jesus' crucifixion. Did you know that? Let me read it. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split. The tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified, and they exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Matthew 27, verse 51. The phenomena of earth in such a dramatic way convinced these skeptics that there was something supernatural about Jesus. That's at his crucifixion. Well, guess what? There was an earthquake at his resurrection, too. I'll read it for you. After the Sabbath, at dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb, and there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. Matthew 28, the first three verses. There will be multiple earthquakes and a great earthquake to signal the return of Christ. So we've had it, we have it at his crucifixion, we have it at his resurrection, and now thirdly, there's going to be a tremendous earthquake at his return. And it signals his return. 
here predicted by the Lord himself, verse 8 of our text, but also predicted by the prophets. Ezekiel says, this is what will happen in that day when Gog attacks the land of Israel. My hot anger will be aroused, declares the sovereign Lord. And in my zeal and fiery wrath, I declare that at that time there will be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, every creature that moves along the ground, and all the people on the face of the earth will tremble at my presence. The mountains will be overturned. The cliffs will crumble. And every wall will fall to the ground. Ezekiel 38, verse 18 through 20. Wow. John actually alludes to this in the book of the Revelation. He says, I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up, and every mountain and every island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they called out to the mountains and they called out to the rocks, Fall on us! Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Revelation 6, verse 12 and following. Wow. The horror of this earthquake is reiterated in Revelation 11. It says, At that very hour there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed. I'm reading. In the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Revelation 11, verse 13 and fall. We read this. I read this. But you know, all of this pales by comparison to the earthquake predicted to occur at Jesus' coming. This is kids' play. Let me read it for you. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake, keeps his clothes with him, so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. And then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. 
The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about 100 pounds each fell upon men. I can't even conceive that. And they cursed God on account of the plague of the hailstones. Because the plague was so terrible. Revelation 16, verse 15 and following. What a terrible thing. And then to curse God, add trouble on top of trouble. God sends the hailstones to bring about repentance, and they curse God for doing it. Now here's the kicker. Jesus says in our text that we're studying, these are the beginnings of birth pains. What? Wait, wait, wait a minute. You mean that's not the sum of it? That's not even the heart of it? No, Jesus says, I want you to know that's just the beginning of it. I checked the U- United States Geolo- Geological Survey to discover the frequency of earthquakes. Here's what I found. Worldwide, worldwide now, the number of all earthquakes remained pretty stable from 2000 to 2011. Until, until the number of quakes in the United States were added in. Then the number went from 22,256 earthquakes in 2000 to 27,526, which is about a 26% increase in frequency between 2000 and where we are in 2011. 26% increase. What is even more revealing are the stats on the intensity or the energy produced by earthquakes. Let me read it to you. It's right here in the table. This table shows that a magnitude 7.2 earthquake produces 10 times more ground motion than a magnitude of 6.2. Oh, wow. 7.2 has a magnitude and intensity 10 times that of 6.2. Let me read on. But it releases about 32 times more energy. The energy release best indicates the destructive power of an earthquake. So what the geological survey is saying, don't just look at the seismic number, be it 7.2 or 6.2. What is the energy produced? in that earthquake. The worst earthquake that ever was recorded by the geological survey 
was one in Shenzhen, China. Shenzhen, it's called. In 1556. I didn't even know they were counting earthquakes that far back, but they were. 830,000 people were killed in that earthquake. 830,000. It was an 8.0 earthquake. Next one, also in China, 246,769 died in Tanzan, China in 1996. Oh, now we're getting a little closer, aren't we? That was a 7.5. Sumatra had an earthquake of 9.1 on the Richter scale in 2004, and 228,000 people died. Haiti, now we're in my backyard, your backyard, had an earthquake of 7.0 in 2010, Three hundred sixteen thousand people died in the little island of Haiti, just to our south. Now, reading all that, I'm telling you right out front, these are nothing, nothing, compared to what will occur at the return of Christ. What do we read about the return of Christ? Isaiah tells us, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every man's heart will melt. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming. It is a great and cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven, their constellations, will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins, I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make man scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gold of Ophir. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble, the heavens tremble, and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning Anger, Isaiah 13. You can read about it. The writer of Hebrews picks up on this prophecy and he says, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Hebrews 12, verse 26. I, I've tried to visualize this. Now, God is a spirit, so he doesn't have hands, right? But what I picture is God just taking his hands and grabbing a hold of the earth, the ball that it is, and just starting to shake it. 
you imagine what that would be like? There be such terror in peoples. The, the houses would fall. The mountains would fall. The earth would be torn apart. Volcanoes would erupt. Snow would melt. Floods. Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. When I read something like that, I, I ask the question, it's always on my mind, well, what about God's people? Lord, <laughs> what's going to happen to us? Don't you think that's a good question? I'll bet it's on your mind, it's on my mind. Well, let me tell you what's going to happen to us. I can read it to you right here from the scripture. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Oh, wow. Multitudes, I'm still reading, who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Daniel 12, verse 1, verse 2. God won't forget his people. Even if you're buried in the ground, even if you're like they say, dead and gone. Uh, you might be dead, but you're not gone. And you're still in the mind of God. What about your future? Well, you may not know the details of your future, but you can know the outcome. Everyone can know the outcome. We just read of a book with people's names contained in it. What is that? That's God's roster of those who through the ages have believed and trusted in God as Savior. Moses was in that book. Exodus 32 verse 32 says he's in the book. Paul talks about Clement and other fellow workers in the gospel having their names in the book. Philippians 4 verse 3. Revelation 3 verse 5 speaks of the believers at the church of Sardis, and all like overcomers being recorded in the book. Oh, and Revelation 21, verse 27 says that all God's true people, all God's true people are registered in his book. And only those in the book enter into his glory. Wow. What a great prospect for us who believe and have been trusted in Christ. What's going to be your outcome? Is your name written in the book? I pray that it is. If not, confess your sins. Plead for mercy before Christ. 
Ask him to save you. Father, thank you for your word. A message like this is terrible to preach because it deals with horrible, horrible, horrible things. A third of this, a third of that. People dying here, people dying there, people dying everywhere. So much turmoil and destruction, even of your earth. No place to hide, but people wanting to hide. Asking for the rocks to fall on them, to hide them. But there is no hiding from the day of your face, in the day of your coming, in the day of your wrath. Except for one place. And that's in the cleft of the rock, the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're in him, we're hidden. We're just like Moses in that wilderness experience where God hid him in the cleft of the rock and then allowed him to see the glory of God. Well, we want to see your glory too, Lord. We don't want to see your wrath. And I pray that if that's the case, we'll come to know Christ as Savior We'll confess our sins. We'll plead mercy. Because you are merciful. And Jesus says that you will never, ever turn anyone away. Thank you for that promise. So, we read in the scripture some very terrible things coming. It's on the horizon. It's in the book. It's going to take place. Your word is always true. But there is also this wonderful joy that everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Thank you, Lord. Mercy in the midst of wrath. That's our God. Amen. Our closing hymn is from the Brown Hymnal, number 245. 245 in the Brown Hymnal. This hymn asks a very important question. The question is this. Jesus is coming to earth again. What if it were today? Yeah, amen. If you're ready, that shouldn't be really scary. But if you're not ready, then... What if it were today might be very scary. You need to come to Christ and trust him. Let's stand together as we sing a wonderful hymn praising the future coming of Christ.
We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. Preached on that last week. But we know he's coming. How do we know he's coming? Because the prophecies of the Old Testament tell us that he's coming. Well, who's going to believe something written in the Old Testament? Well, they prophesied his first coming, and all of that came true, right? So we build our case on the truth of God's word. The Holy Spirit confirms within our lives that God is not a liar like men. He's going to speak the truth. And if he came the first time according to schedule, he's going to come the second time according to schedule. The important question is, will you be ready? Will you be ready? Trust you will. Thank you. We're dismissed. See you tonight.